of the many people who were influenced by Socrates, influenced enough to establish their own philosophical school to preserve the thought of Socrates, Plato stands out as the greatest thinker by far. Plato established a, a school at Academus's place, called accordingly by us the Academy. This school would become the most important center of education in the world until A.D. 529, nearly a millennium later, when it was closed down by a Christian emperor because of its pagan history. But Plato was not only great in a pagan context. Indeed, his greatness was obvious to the early Christians too, and for that very reason, Plato is the only classical author whose entire body of work survives. It really boggles the mind to think of what this survival means. A modern edition of the collected works of Plato runs to some 1,700 pages of typeset print. Translate that writing into papyrus rolls, and imagine the size of the room needed to house all those rolls. Imagine the task of copying out by hand each and every roll before the papyrus rotted and became brittle. And this task went on over and over in the ancient world for dozens of decades, hundreds of years, until the Codex was finally developed in the Roman period. Plato was born in Athens about the year for. 28, give or take, and lived until 347, to die at the age of about 80. His lineage was that of the finest nobility. His father, Ariston, traced his family lines to Codrus, the last king of Athens, and his mother was descended from Solon, the great Athenian statesman, who revolutionized Athenian society around the year 590 and who was also considered to be one of the seven wise men. He had two brothers, Glaucon and Adamantus, who appear in some of his dialogues, and he had one sister who became the mother of Spusippus, who took over the academy after Plato's death. His mother's cousins, Critias and brother Charmides, also appear in some dialogues, they were notorious tyrants during the reign of the Thirty Tyrants in the year 404. That might explain why Plato had to leave Athens. As a youth, he excelled in his schooling, which consisted of memorizing Homer and various poets and physical training. His father thought that he would be a very good wrestler, and indeed, Plato competed in the Isthmian Games and acquired the nickname Plato, which means broad. Plato himself was drawn towards dramatic poetry and is reputed to have made a conversion to philosophy after he happened to meet Socrates one day while he was on his way to deliver a new play to the Archon in charge of the theatre. Socrates saw him and asked him what he was holding, and he inquired about the drama of the young man. Well, after talking to Socrates... He burnt his play, and he devoted the rest of his life to being with Socrates. So, as one might expect from this background, Plato's dialogues are the most poetic and well-written of all philosophical writings. So Plato would need to have been about 20 years old by the time he met Socrates, 
that would be the earliest he could really take a play for presentation. After Socrates was killed by the Athenians, Plato, at around the age 28, 29, left Athens. He lived in Megara with some other philosophic people. He appears to have met Cratylus, a student of Heraclitus, who argued that the sensible world was in constant change or flux. At some point, he traveled to Italy, where he met Pythagoreans, and developed his love for mathematics. So taken was he by the mathematical order that he inscribed above the door of the academy, let no one enter who does not know mathematics. These three philosophic influences clearly left their mark on Plato. First, he took from Socrates a conviction that there was a stable, knowable reality connected with ethics. There is a right and a wrong in the world, and we can know that. From Heraclitus, he gathered that there was a constant change in the sensible or physical world that we live in. Plato cites Heraclitus, in fact, as saying, you cannot step into the same river twice, because fresh water is ever flowing into it. Which means, of course, that we cannot have perfect knowledge about this world which we experience. If X is always changing, how do you know that it is X now? It might be Y or Z. So we have beliefs about this world, not knowledge. And from Pythagoras, he saw the order and the structure of the world revealed to those who thought about it. Perhaps Plato took another leaf out of Socrates' approach to life, or perhaps it is just his creative spirit, but he too remains something of a mystery. Most philosophers will set out their ideas in a methodical format, an argument. They say, here's the problem, here's the solution. Plato, however, takes a different approach. He offers us dialogues on philosophic matters. Plato himself never, or, well, rarely appears in these dialogues. He's mentioned uh, in passing in the Phaedo. But in many cases, the chief speaker is Socrates. Now, the first question that, that rises is, where is Plato? And where is Socrates? When the character of Socrates says something... Is it his opinion, historically preserved? Or is it Plato's own idea, being given credibility by being placed in the mouth of the great teacher Socrates? This is called the Socratic problem, uh, a problem the solution, solution of which falls in and out of vogue. One other fallout from this stylistic quirk of the dialogue is that contrary things can be said without pinning Plato down with the charge of contradicting himself. A character can claim that the, the poets offer images thrice removed from reality, and thus are deceptive, unworthy of study in this purified republic. But then, there is no other philosopher so poetic in his expressions, at least until Nietzsche, or one who uses Homer and Hesiod more to support his arguments. He might say things about women that would be expected in a misogynistic community, 
patriarchal community of ancient Greece, things that remind us of Hesiod and Simonides, but then he'll turn around and argue that women too can be philosopher rulers. Women are equal with men when it comes to the attaining of philosophic wisdom and the highest achievements which we are capable of. Plato allowed women into his academy, unlike Aristotle, who set women, children, and slaves aside as substandard humans. Well, why else did Plato write dialogues? Hmm, don't know. In the seventh letter, he claims that the deepest philosophy cannot be written down. It arises between living companions in active discussion. In his dialogue Phaedrus, writing and reading disable memory. People become learned of other people's ideas. The written word cannot choose its readers and can easily fall into the hands which are not ready or skilled enough for it. It can be misunderstood and cannot defend itself. One other possible reason for the dialogue format, it could be that students of the academy were asked to read the dialogue, each taking parts, and then they could discuss the issues which appeared. <laughs>